Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 439, and this is about the roller coaster of sports. This episode feels like that old opening to the ABC Wide World of Sports with Jim McKay. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yep, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Let me set the scene for you, and then we'll get to our guest. The University of Washington was having a special year. This is their final year in the Pac-12. They're going to the Big Ten, and they were good. But they were really good. And then they got better and better and better, and they made the college football playoff, which for the final time is only four teams. They beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl, and now they're playing for the national championship against Michigan. Meanwhile, the Seattle Seahawks are going for the playoffs. They're, a, they're in the middle of the pack in terms of playoffs, but ultimately they don't make it. So it's a Monday night, the national championship game, and Washington has a shot. And ultimately they lost 34-13, to but that's only the beginning of the story. That's the roller coaster in its own right. What happens after that, inexplicably, Nick Saban, the legendary coach at Alabama, retires. And in what felt like minutes, Washington coach Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington to go become the new head coach of the Crimson Tide. And in this weird world of college sports, if your coach leaves, you have 30 days you can follow him to his next school. And so suddenly, half the roster was transformed. You had graduation, you had guys who wanted to transfer anyway, and then you had all these people leaving for Alabama. Then Washington hires a coach, and all of this is happening while the Seattle Seahawks fire the winningest coach in franchise history, Pete Carroll. And then let me tell you about Dave Mahler. Dave Mahler is one of my oldest friends, and Dave and I worked together in the late 90s, so years ago. He was in my wedding, and the thing about Dave, not only does he host afternoons on KJR, he uses his social media like a sounding board. He is easily the guy who just posts emotion, and everything leading up to the national championship game was beat Michigan, beat Michigan, beat Michigan, beat Michigan, beat Michigan, and then it was Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. So I had to welcome Dave back to Sports with Friends. He had previously been on the show to talk about him, where he was the focal point in episode 190. 190. This is 439. It also, in the NFL, is Championship Week, where we'll find out the teams participating in the Super Bowl, the AFC Championship game, the NFC Championship game. We will preview both of them with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. I've said this to you off-air a lot. You, your social media is your emotion. So anybody who follows you on any form of social media, they know exactly the highs, the lows, and I felt like I experienced the, the Huskies' rise to the national championship, the fall, the coach leaving, the team roster being decim decimated, and then Pete Carroll. On top of all that, I mm. felt like I saw it through your eyes. Just the emotional rung and how therapeutic is it to share it on some form of social media? 
first of all, I can't handle this like serious professional thing from you. I mean, I've known you too long, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at you. Tell me how you handled everything, the emotions, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm laughing my ass off over here. I mean, what are we doing here, man? Are you kidding me? My God, first of all, it's great to see you at number one. And number but, but, two, but, yes. By the way, if would... I had anybody else from KJR on, yeah. they would have been very morose. You're picking at a wound here, pal, right? It's uh, the body is still warm, for God's sakes. Uh, 15 days ago, Washington was playing in the national championship game against Michigan. And now Kalen DeBoer is the head coach at Alabama, likely going to lose uh, probably eight or nine starters to the portal, bunch of guys to the draft. We can talk about that in a second. Um, we got a brand new head coach in Jed Fish from Arizona. We got a brand new AD going back to October. It's too much change, man. It's like it's like when baseball decided overnight we're going to change the extra inning rules. We're going to increase the size of the bases. That's the comparison. We're going to mess with the pitch clock. It's just like everything happened at one time, and everything's happening at one time in college football too, right? The NIL, the portal, the thirty-day window, blah blah blah, yada yada yada. It's too much, too soon, Seth. I can't handle it. I need it to slow down. Okay, let's focus on the positive first. Tell me about when you knew the Huskies were good, like yeah. really good. <laughs> you, you've covered this team. They've been to how many national championships? 1991, you were a child then. I was and, 17 years old. Okay, so yeah. now they're good. When did you on your radio show start saying, wow, they could be in the playoff? Like they're yeah. that yeah. good. Well, first of all, it's funny because the way the season ended, and we've had this conversation on the air Back on my show and also, you know, on social media, I, I just wonder if the way the season ended and not just the loss to Michigan, right? But what happened with DeBoer, what happened with the roster, all the portal guys transferring. There's been so much focus on that that people haven't even had a chance to enjoy what we just did, right? Like this was probably the second greatest Husky football season of all time. I mean, I got a, I got a picture up here, you know, right here of the 1991 national champion Huskies right there in the corner. And I was going to be great on an audio podcast. You like that? Huh? Oh, you can't see that. Okay. Well, and I was going to put a picture of this team next to it, right? I had a spot all picked out for yeah. it and now that's gone. So we haven't even had a chance to really enjoy it and think about that. It's like the Super Bowl in 2014 with the play at the one yard line. The Seahawks had this incredible win against Green Bay in the NFC Championship yep. that year. Sure. They played in the Super Bowl, for God's sakes. And yet, nobody talks about that. All they do is talk about the interception. So, this is like the college football version of that. They were so annoyed and frustrated. And I'll be honest with you, a little bit pissed off about what's happening right now at Washington. That instead of talking about all the guys coming back from last year's team, and maybe we can do this again next year, or at least get into the 12-team playoff next year, there's no talk about that. And, and so that's been the frustrating part for me is that we haven't even had a chance, Seth, to even celebrate what Washington just did. But going back to your question about when did I realize Washington had, you know, had a chance, I think late in the year when you go to USC and you beat Caleb Williams, I mean, you're coming off the Oregon high. You have a, you know, a, 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 a tough game the next week, obviously, coming off the emotion of that. But then going to USC and beating USC – and then going to Oregon State and winning in the rain and a driving rainstorm and winning an ugly football game. I think like early November, mid to early November, we kind of really felt like maybe this team had a chance to do something big this year. But even then, winning the national championship, right? Like there's a difference between making the Final Four and winning the national sure. championship. That really did not even enter my brain 
until after the Texas game, until after they beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl. I saw Michael Penix play the way he did in that game. And I saw the defense with those two stops at the end of the game against Quinn Ewers and that great Texas offense. I thought to myself, my God, these guys actually have a shot. And now they're playing in the damn thing in a week from now. So really did not even enter my uh, my, my my thought process that they could win the title until after they beat Texas. But wasn't it the beginning of the season, all the talk was about moving out of the Pac-12 into the Big right. Ten? That yes. was the whole thing was right. every time they were facing a Pac-12 team, it was this is the last time, this is the last mm-hmm. time, and mm-hmm. all the emotion that goes along with that. So I would imagine that was quite a distraction during the course of the regular season because everything yeah. was uncertain. And I hate to say it, but you're a talk show host. The stuff with Oregon State and Washington State and the uncertainty around that had to be a talking point. Uh, first of all, uh, why isn't this on video, by the way? How come we're just doing audio here? Why isn't this on video? I mean, don't, don't people want to see your face, your smiling face? You got a haircut. You look like you dyed your hair a little bit. You know, you're clean shaven. How come How come this I is not on video? I don't dye how my hair. How come this anymore? is not on video? Why is this not video? Well, this, this part could be on video. We make okay. video portions right. of the podcast. Okay, okay. The problem um, is you can't edit a podcast on video the same way you can edit on audio. No, I get it. It takes a lot more work, and you're not doing that. I I, uh, I totally get that. You're a busy guy. You got stuff going on. Um, but back to your question about what was distracting and all that. I mean, not really for me. You know, I mean, Washington was taken care of. You know, Washington was going to the Big Ten. That's the Cougars' problem. That's Oregon State's problem. And you know what, Seth? I got to be honest with you. I actually felt some sympathy for them when this whole thing went down because you remember USC and UCLA were the first two to go. And then Colorado, just after the Pac-12 media day in Vegas, they were the third to go. And so at that point, there's nine teams and then everything falls apart. You get this stupid ass deal from Apple, which is ridiculous. I mean, think about how pissed off people were and irritated they were to begin with 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 the Pac-12 media rights deal when they were on terrestrial TV. And now you're telling him you got to go on Apple and you got to pay to watch these guys play something that was included in your cable package already. Now you have to pay extra for that. And there's even rumors said that they may have asked people to go on a, a pay-per-view basis on Apple to watch their favorite team. So I think people would have freaked out if they would have accepted that deal from Apple down the road, streaming, fine, whatever, but not now. I mean, everybody's got to be on terrestrial TV for now. A portion of your broadcast rights can be streaming, but the main, you know, gist of it's got to be on terrestrial. Anyway, so I actually felt some sympathy for Oregon State and Washington State fans. I thought what was happening to them sucked. It was terrible. I mean, getting kicked out of a major conference and having to go God knows where, Big Sky, Mountain West, blah, blah, blah. And then mostly Cougar fans and some Beaver fans and mostly on social media started acting like total dicks. And they were blaming Washington for ruining the Pac-12. And they were blaming oh, us and Oregon for that. blowing the whole thing up. And so, I, I I mean, watch my language. But at some point, I just said, fuck you guys. Seriously? Like, I, I mean, whatever. It's not Washington's fault. There's not one Washington State fan and not one Oregon State fan that would have accepted the invite to the Big Ten if it were offered to them. The only reason why they were angry is because they were left behind holding a bag of crap. Okay, so I get it. They're emotional. They're hurt. They're passionate. They want to point the finger of blame at somebody. So I went from being sympathetic to not giving a damn about them and just focusing on Washington, man. So it really, for me, wasn't a big distraction at all. No doubt. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but do whatever you want. When Florida State and Clemson eventually get their wish and leave the ACC and the ACC is going to be like 
double A baseball. Yeah, that people will blame suck. them. That's, people will blame them suck. for ruining the ACC. But whatever Florida State and Clemson do, there's not one school in that conference that would have not done the same thing if they had the offer. So, look, I think a lot of what's happening in college football right now stinks. There's no question about that with the portal rules. You know, like Washington's dealing with this thing right now, Seth, where they they lose their coach, and the NCAA has uh, has has recently passed a rule where if your head coach leaves, the players have 30 days to leave yeah. the school and go play for whoever they want. The problem for a school like where Washington, was that when Bill O'Brien bailed on Penn State? Right, exactly. Uh, and you know what? Look, in some ways, it's a good rule because coaches, excuse me, players, more often than not. Don't sign with schools because of the school. They sign because of the coach. And the coach is the one making millions of dollars. The coach is the one in their living room talking to mom and dad, trying to convince them to be Huskies or whatever, you know, Tar Heels, Hurricanes, Trojans, Ducks, whatever. And so they sign with the coach. Orange. Orange. The orange. Orange. So I get why they do it. But (laughs) the, the, the fans that are left behind and the new coach that takes over and the players that stay, are screwed because the only school right now that Washington can pull players from to, to replace the guys they're losing is, is Arizona and Alabama because Saban retired and Jed Fish took the job up in Seattle. So Jed Fish is going to bring probably when it's all said and done seven or eight guys with him to Seattle, Which but they're weird. still going to be light. They're going to be five to 10 scholarships light potentially next year. So we'll see what the spring window, which opens up in April, by the way, what that looks like. And guess what? If Jim Harbaugh takes the Charger job, which I think he's going to, then Michigan's roster is going to be eligible to be poached by other teams. If Chip Kelly takes off and becomes an OC in the NFL, which is being rumored, then UCLA's roster will be eligible to be poached. We, we just, Seth, keep kicking this stupid can down the road, and somebody eventually is left without a roster. You think that... Did you ever think that Kalen DeBoer was leaving? Because nobody thought Nick Saban was retiring, so I wouldn't have even connected him to Alabama. Did you ever think Kalen DeBoer said, this is a stepping stone, or was this a final destination? In The job I was concerned about him leaving for was Michigan, not Alabama, because I think we all thought that Jim Harbaugh Oh, because when Harbaugh got suspended. Right. Yeah, well, and and, and not even – well, that's part of it, yeah, because I think think Jim Harbaugh is sick and tired of playing by the rules of the NCAA. I mean, second – I mean, Seth, first of all, coaches in college football work a lot harder than coaches do in the NFL. They're dealing with a lot more people. They're dealing with parents. They're dealing with cousins. They're dealing with NIL agents now. They're dealing with a roster of 120-plus kids. They're recruiting. They're glad-handing donors. There's a lot more that goes into being a college coach versus the NFL. There's a reason why coaches aspire to get to the NFL and out of college, okay? So that's number one. Number two, DeBoer had some experience in the Midwest. I mean, he's from the Dakotas, obviously. He coached at Eastern Michigan, which is right down the road from Ann Arbor. He kind of felt like a better fit for Michigan than a place like um, Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson. And so I was always nervous about Michigan and then I found out about three days after Jen Cohen went to USC, our AD, that he had hired Jimmy Sexton to be his agent. And for those that don't know, Jimmy Sexton is the Scott Boris of college football. He is the best agent in the game. He represents all the coaches. What he just did for Dan Lanning and Steve Sarkeesian uh, and now Kalen DeBoer, he got all of his clients' raises. And guess who was his client at Alabama? It was Nick Saban. 
So I think Jimmy Sexton likely had some kind of communication with the board that says, hey, look, you have this offer right now for eight and a half million dollars on the table that was that came in right after the Pac-12 championship. Don't sign it. Don't sign it because that number is only going to go up. If you win the national title, that number is going to go up, man. Going to double, and they, right. Right. And they played their cards perfectly. They had a $9.5 million offer eventually on the table from Washington, which they turned down, I think, to take over 10 from Alabama. So all of that started to make me nervous. But as far as a stepping stone, I mean, a stepping stone for Alabama, sure. Stepping stone for Michigan, sure. Stepping stone for USC. There's probably eight or nine teams around college football. That would be looked at as obviously premier jobs, more so than Washington, and Alabama's one of them, and he took it. For my conversation on Seattle sports, the Washington Huskies, the Seattle Seahawks with Softy from KJR in Seattle in just a moment. But first, it is championship weekend in the NFL. The AFC and the NFC games. Let's bring in the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, to give you the latest odds on both. All right, let's start with the AFC championship game at M&T Bank Stadium. The 13-4 Baltimore Ravens against the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. It's a classic matchup. The Chiefs won their first playoff game, or this iteration of the Chiefs won their first road playoff game. Now they go to hostile Baltimore. What an intriguing matchup. Yeah, Seth, this is this is going to be a real good one. Um, you have the Ravens, who, uh, you know, best team in the AFC uh, for, you know, the last half of the season. Lamar Jackson playing, you know, some of the most consistent football under center, uh, passing, running, everything you could ask of him. Uh, he's lived up to the expectations this year and then some um you know and he was a holdout too remember right this is this is wild everything you know there was a version was of a this a long where, time ago yeah yeah there's a version of this where uh you know the ravens have somebody else under center they're not making this run because the way that offense was built as well with those receivers that has to be a Lamar jackson led team but i here we are it's the chiefs it's january 22nd and uh or sorry it's january 28th and they're you know once again in an afc championship game this is strange though they're underdogs this you don't see this too often with patrick mahomes and i i've just got to say i'm not surprised that the money is where it is so far right now seth about 70 percent of all bets are on the chiefs money line and the point spread which is currently sitting at plus three and a half right now over under uh, a little bit low but i think that speaks to the weather uh, situation for this weekend only sitting 44 and a half right now at Bavada. then the nightcap the san francisco 49ers taking on the upstart detroit lions I know the heart is with Detroit, but the Niners come in a heavy favorite, don't they? This line danced uh, back and forth between six and a half and seven on Sunday night when we first opened. Uh, It's currently sitting at seven right now. And what we're also getting is uh, the usual kind of split of the underdog is getting the majority of the action on the money line, but the 49ers are getting the majority of bets on the point spread right now. Uh, looking at the game itself, uh, I think the real big question mark is going to be the health of Debo Samuel on Sunday. Um, when Brock Purdy lost him against uh, the Packers on Saturday night last week, that offense looked ordinary. And l- let's be honest, the Packers left the 49ers off the hook. A couple dropped interceptions, one should have been a pick six, uh, settling and missing field goal attempts when they had to. Uh, that was the most mortal the 49ers have looked in probably, well, probably since Christmas when they played the Ravens. Again, that spread is seven right now, and between the money line and the handicap, pretty split uh, action overall. Over-under is sitting at 51 right now at Bavada. 
And here on Sports with Friends, we're talking about that roller coaster between the University of Washington, the highs, the lows. Kalen DeBoer is now in Alabama. That's a change. Jed Fish is the new coach at Washington. How did that colossal move change the betting landscape for college football? You know, what a fascinating Jed Fish to be in the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure he'll fit in just uh, perfectly there. You know, I can see him in a Starbucks order right away. Uh, as for how it impacted the actual teams and the odds set, um, less dramatic for Alabama, but we're still assuming a step back here compared to Nick Saban, who just totally shocked the world with his uh, retirement announcement. Um, if he was sticking around, we would have had Alabama as closer to probably about six to one to win the national championship and they're now as high as nine to one but obviously with washington i mean they needed a lot of things to break right their way this past season just to be in the conversation to make the playoffs um you know they ultimately did make it to the national championship but it was a lot tighter margins all the way through underdogs and many more games so with them losing their head coach and who knows uh, what that roster is going to look like we've actually seen their off-season futures odd move all the way up to 50 to one right now at Nevada. That is Patrick Morrow. More of my conversation with Softy now here talking about Washington, Seattle Seahawks, and everything that's going on in the Pacific Northwest. Do you get the sense that DeBoer is that good a coach? Yeah. Or did they just have lightning in a bottle, Penix, whatever you want to factor it in? Mm-hmm. Right. This was lightning in a bottle, and this was a magic run. Like, if Kalen DeBoer stays at Washington, are they perennial national championship sure. contenders? Sure. We don't know that. That's a great question, and here's why it's a great question. Because Kalen DeBoer has never been anywhere long enough to make his recruiting matter. He just hasn't, right? I mean, you know, a couple years at Fresno, a couple years at Washington. It's only been a head coach twice at Division One, and that's Fresno State and, and UW. I mean, you know, at, at at Sioux Falls, obviously, in the NAIA, he kind of ran the whole roost, right? He, he, he ran the whole place. So he's never been anywhere long enough to really know if his recruiting will pay off or not. I'll be honest with you, I'm bummed out he left. He was a phenomenal guy. He was great to me. I mean, selfishly, he was awesome to me, unbelievable to me. I've never seen a, a, been around a head coach who was more media-friendly than Kalen DeBoer. I, I, there's one time, Seth, we're doing our show from the fourth floor recruiting lounge, which is basically the football offices for the coaches. And they have this big area with a papa shop machine, a foosball machine, cafeteria where the players can mingle, hang out, watch TV, do whatever. Right. And so we're doing our show there uh, last year. And we're behind a Papa shop machine, so we can't see the field, which it's radio. So who gives a damn, right? And Kalen comes over and like says, how hey. I feel about this podcast. Exactly. Yeah, but people want to see you, though, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're a star. Come on. Um, people, uh, he, he comes over and he says, why don't you do your show from my office? I've never had a coach offer to do our show from his office ever. And we did that twice, by the way. We did it twice in the last couple of years. So he was amazing. He would text you back, call you back right away, always be willing to have conversations with you. Before he even coached a game and after he was hired, my dad died in August of 2022 when he called me up and offered condolences. Whole staff sent me a big letter, flowers, the whole thing. So, look, I realized that the average fan doesn't care about that, but this is the kind of person he was, no, okay? that's what I want, though. And I was bummed out that I lost that kind of guy, you know, from a working standpoint. We still talk. I've talked a little bit to him since he went to Alabama but it's not the same, right? Having him in Tuscaloosa, it's not the same. So I thought he had created a phenomenal culture on campus, and, and I'm bummed out to see him go. But your question is valid. Again, not to repeat myself, but he's never been anywhere long enough to make, you know, see if his recruiting can pay off. 
I remember talking to you when the Seahawks made their run, when they had the Super Bowl in New York, for example, yeah. in the New Jersey Super Bowl. And I remember the the fervor that this that the city had, right? The the fervor that the whole city embraced this mm-hmm. team. And you and I had a conversation either on on a show or off a show about you know, it was the first time since the Sonics left that the city of Seattle could celebrate something sports. And it was such a big, big deal for the city that it transcended football fans and, and right. transcended right. sports. Did the Huskies run mimic that? Yeah, not not at that level, obviously, but came close. I mean, I think the national championship sugar bowl i think they got like a 55 share in the city of seattle when the seahawks would end up in a super bowl would be doing probably above an 80 you know maybe even Mm -hmm. close to 90 for something like that but you got to remember man there's a lot of transplants in the area in 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 this city you got a lot of cougar fans you know a lot of people come from all over the country to live here for the tech sector things like that so it'll never be like that it'll never be what it is in a place like tuscaloosa where there's nothing else to do and there's no other pro sports team. It'll never be what it's like in Eugene, where outside of the Blazers, there's nothing else to do in the entire state, for God's sakes. It'll never be like Florida State and Tallahassee or Clemson and South Carolina. There's a lot to compete with in this town. You know that. Mariners, Seahawks, uh, you know, the Storm, the Sounders are big in this city as now well. You have the hockey so, team that had a Exactly, the Kraken. It'll, it'll never be like that. But I, I think as far as galvanizing the entire city, and getting new fans to jump on the wagon, this is as big as it's been in probably 30-plus years in the city of Seattle. And that's what sucks about the way things ended is that we 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 spend so much time, you know, Dick and I talking on the air about how many five-, six-year-old kids are now becoming Husky fans because of what this team is doing, and now the team's going to be getting blown to bits. And so whatever momentum you picked up from this last run – I don't know how much of it they can sustain, Seth. I really don't. I mean, we're going to see. We're going to see what the crowd's like for the Weber State game in the opener. We're going to see how many season tickets they sell. I know back in 2016 when they played Alabama on the Final Four that they did not see a major bump in season ticket sales the way they were hoping for. And I think it might be tough again this time around because the coach left and the roster got blown to bits. On this podcast, we've done a lot on the transfer portal. I understand Mm. where it came from. It's Mm -hmm. from COVID. Alabama was a big part of it because they had no COVID rules. Um, They they eliminated the have to sit out a year. To me, NIL is a good thing for college sports. The transfer portal is absolute dog shit. It's garbage. (laughs) And there should be some kind of sacrifice. Yeah for a player that just doesn't want to play there anymore. It, it It's ridiculous. And I, I've told the story, Adrian Autry replaces Jim Beheim. guy had been there for 48 years. It's the first head coach in my lifetime. Right. And the first question he's asked at, at the press conference was, what was the first thing you did when you found out you had the job? And he says, oh, I called all my players and begged them to stay. Of course. Offered them money. Found out how much the uh, Syracuse NIL collective, whatever they're called, has to offer these guys. Do but you, do you, hate, I can't stand the transfer portal. Yeah. Weigh yeah. in on the transfer yeah. portal, not just the 30 day garbage with the coach and all that other nonsense. Mm-hmm. The transfer portal. Do you like, do, do you accept it? Yeah. Well, you accept it because you have no other choice. I mean, I think the rules are going to change, the rules are going to evolve. And, 
I mean, part of this is going back to your point about the uh, origins of the portal. COVID, yes, had something to do with it. Players got an extra year, blah, blah, blah. But this has been in the works for a, this has been the work for decades, man. No, no, no. But when COVID happened and, and te- colleges were handling COVID differently, if you were not comfortable, you could transfer and not. No, sure. I get out. that. But but again, but, that but, was the but straw this, that broke the camel. It may have been, but this was coming, excuse me, no matter what, because the NCAA is scared to hell of litigation by the players. The NCAA has no backbone. They have no spine whatsoever. They they are completely concerned about being sued by the athletes. The athletes, uh, the athletes have more power today than they've ever had, and I think a lot of it is because of the, the authority they hold over potential lawsuits over the NCAA. So the players have all the, the power. Whatever the players want, they get. And so, look, for the players, it's great. All of this is great. NIL, making money, whatever, great. We just had a guy from Washington, Nate Kalepo, who's from Seattle, by the way, Seth. Went to Washington, was a starting guard for the national title game team at Washington. I think he's going to Ole Miss is what I've heard, and he's getting about $170,000 more than what Washington would have offered him. And he's taken off. He's ruining his legacy in Seattle to go play for a team in the SEC. Uh, Mish Powell, who's also from the area, is taken off to go play one year at Miami before his career is all said and done. So one year, like you, I don't understand that. It, it, that, 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 that. That's what I get irritated about is when the local guys that grew up Husky fans take off to go make an extra hundred and whatever thousand bucks somewhere else, which after taxes, you're clearing maybe 90 grand and that's that money is going to be gone in a year. I mean, give me a break. If it's life-changing money, millions of dollars, you know, I certainly understand it, but my God, guys, what are we doing? So I don't like the fact that teams are screwed when players take off because in the end, the people that end up holding the bag of shit are the fans and the players left behind. Guys like me who love Husky football, fans that love Husky football, the players that stay here like Cameron Fabiculan and Elijah Jackson, Carson Bruner that love this football team and are fighting their ass off, they're left behind with a nothing roster because of the way the NCAA has set this thing up. So what I propose is this. If you want to have that kind of authority and you want to get paid by a team, what I would say is let's just make this professional football. All right, let's be done with all this nonsense. Let's make it pro football. Every player that signs a scholarship agreement gets a certain percentage as a union of football-related income. And in exchange for that money that we're going to pay you, you're going to lock in for four years on campus. Now, if it's a mutual thing, we want you gone. You want to take off. It's not a fit. We can talk about it down the road and get you out of here. But if we're going to start paying you, I'm not even talking about NIL. They can do whatever they want with their name and image and likeness. I'm talking about the schools actually will start providing checks to players. And Charlie Baker, who's the new president of the NCAA, I think is in favor of something like this. Let's start giving the players a a union. They've tried to unionize forever. They've been turned down by a lot of people. But let's start giving them a percentage of football income. And in exchange for that paycheck, like the NFL, you're going to give us four years. You're going to sign a contract to play for our football team. So I think um, if you want to get the players to give up that kind of authority, Seth, and that kind of uh, power to move, you have to start giving them a reason and paying them as a reason. Where does the scholarship fit in all that? Do you get a scholarship? Do you go to school? Do you get the education? Yeah, you, you still get you, you still get wait, your scholarship. So, so it, you get a yeah. salary and correct. You get right. Yeah, that's yeah. It. I mean, look, I I I always thought that a scholarship was enough 
It's not enough anymore. I remember because, I you know, pissed off Washington State in nineteen. You know why it's not enough? I'll tell you why it's not enough. Because coaches got greedy. Because we're paying coaches $10 million a year. That's why. When coaches started making that kind of money, when AD started making millions of dollars a year, when TV rights started to get into the tens and hundreds of million dollars, the players said, what are we doing here? Right? We're getting a scholarship. It's great. I'm getting oh, an education. But I'm looking around, Seth, and people that are with this school are getting filthy rich, filthy rich off me. So I don't have any problem with it. I think times are changing. It's time for people to change with them. While this is all happening, the Seattle Seahawks are contending for a playoff spot. Yeah. And then they don't make it. Did mm -hmm. you ever think, and mind you, most of your life, you traveled to New York City to watch Michael Penix maybe win the Heisman Trophy. Right, right. You're com you're completely consumed by everything Washington. They're on this historic run. Did you think Pete Carroll was was out, whether he yeah. was fired or not? Did you think he was out? And yeah, again, you say it's all happening too soon or too right. quickly. His legacy. Mm-hmm. That's a major chapter. That's that's Lou Pinella. That's Don James. That's that's a Huge. major major factor in Seattle sports history, and it happened yeah. the same week. Well, and then Saban retires, obviously, and then Belichick is gone. I mean, it was an unreal week for football coaches, no question. But I mean, first of all, did I see it coming? Yeah, I did. Uh, the Tuesday morning after the national championship game, you know, Dick and I are on the air doing the show from Houston and talking about this how. It just felt like it was time. Felt like it was time for Pete Carroll to walk away. If he's ever going to walk away, this is the time to do it. Now, here's the difference. Why, he didn't though? walk away. He was fired, okay, <laughs> which is yeah, still yeah. kind of hard to comprehend. I, I always believed that Pete Carroll would be able to call his shot, right? Whenever he's ready to go, Jody Allen and the Seahawks, Burt Cold, whoever's running the organization, Paul's brother Jody owns the team now, as you know that they would let him decide when he wants to walk away. And that did not happen. And I was stunned, stunned to hear that part of the story. So I wasn't surprised. You know, I thought after the uh, the Pittsburgh game, which was the last game in Seattle, there was a picture that one of the guys took, Chris Egan, I think a King Five. He's literally standing in the end zone and he's kind of reflecting. He's taking the whole thing in. And when people saw that photo, they started asking themselves, is, 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 is that him getting one last look? at Lumen Field before he walks away. Now, it turns out his grandkids were playing like flag football on the field after the game was over. But when you combine that image with everything that's been going on with the Seahawks, with the fact that they just have not been able to get this thing going in the last couple of years, uh, I was not surprised at all, honestly, Seth, that he walked away. And look, his defense, this is a defensive-minded guy in Pete Carroll. His defense in the last three years has been ranked 28th, 20th, and 27th. I mean, that's not Pete Carroll football. Right. That's not him at all. And when his defense began to fall apart, I think it kind of became time for Pete to go. But what what in your estimation is is the game just passing him? What what's changed? I mean, he's 72 years old. First of all, he'd be the oldest head coach in the history of the NFL if he stuck around. You know, and I'm talking like in the history of the NFL. Um, so I think at some point in time, it's a younger person's game. It's a game that evolves and. If you're not willing to evolve with it, which I think he has in some ways, but not all the way, right? I mean, you are who you are. You're a defensive-minded guy that likes to run the ball and be conservative. And unless you have a phenomenal defense and a phenomenal running game, that's not going to work at all. And so I think the message was kind of getting lost in some ways. 
Um, could he have survived and been a perennial playoff team? Likely. Was he going to win another championship? Look, man, that was going to be damn hard to do. Recreating what they had in the Legion of Boom in 2012 and 13 was going to be nearly impossible. You know, finding a quarterback that could replace Russell Wilson is going to be really tough to do for him. So I just think it was time to move on. It was time to get a fresh set of eyeballs and ears in there. Uh, the culture can continue with a guy like Dan Quinn, but I think the message Seth with Seth was kind of getting lost, and I, I just felt like it was the appropriate time to go. I really do. Do you think that the Seahawks have the Seahawks gone down a peg from the In run? It, you know that you know I made a big deal about. Uh, I thought the Seattle City had a had an issue after the basketball team left that. The, you know, stop with the stigmas that this is not a great sports town. This is a sports town. This is a great sports town. You mm -hmm. know, when they opened their stadium, it wasn't just a loud stadium. It had to be the record-breaking decibel level stadium. Right, it had right. to be everything. That's what it was. Does that fervor still exist for that football team? Yeah. If they come back next yeah. year and win 10 games, is right. suddenly, did that come right back? I think Seahawks fans, uh, the Seahawks are number one in, in this town, and it's not close. I mean, when the Mariners win, they make the playoffs. If they ever, ever play in the World Series, okay, we that ask me then. But right now, the Hawks are number one, and there really is no is no close second. I mean, the Mariners probably second just because they're professional baseball. Huskies, Kraken, Sounders, kind of all throw them into one big hat, you know, for number three. But there is a large gap in this town between where the Seahawks are on the hierarchy and then who number two is. Um, and that's never going to change. I mean, the fact that people were screaming and yelling about the way things ended for the Seahawks, the, uh, the coaching search is something we're talking about daily on the radio show, obviously, uh, that they're still number one. Now, if they go through a prolonged period of losing and they're five and 12 for four years in a row, We'll check in, but you know, this franchise has never done that. I mean, they had, they've had one losing season since 2011 and they've had three of them since 2009. So they don't lose a lot of games and they're, they're consistently in the conversation for a playoff spot. So until that changes, um, I don't see any reason why the Hawks won't be number one on that list for a long time. So explain your relationship to Pete Carroll compared to, Mm -hmm. Kalen DeBoer or anybody else. You came uh, into I didn't have own. much of it. You yeah, were I doing have... afternoons during mm -hmm. Carol, most of right. Carol's run, right? Right. Oh, yeah. No, I've been doing afternoons since 2012. Carol took over in 2010. So the year that I took over the afternoon show was literally right after the Seahawks lost to Atlanta in that great uh, uh, divisional game uh, in the 2012 season. I don't have the relationship with Pete that I've got with Kalen DeBoer or had with Kalen DeBoer because we carry the Husky football games on our on our station. So we can do more stuff on campus. You know, 710 has the rights to the Seahawks. So they're doing live shows, you know, throughout the year during the season. They have a lot more access than we do. They'll get Pete Carroll on their show every Monday uh, on the morning show. We don't have that kind of access with us because we're not, we don't have the rights. I mean, no, the rights get, is what it's all about, right? I get so, that, but it's not apples to apples, obviously, but it's but you have been a prominent voice in the town and he knows. That. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have no idea if he knows that or not. I mean, honestly, you know, I'll tell you a story. I was walking out of Jed Fish's press conference last Tuesday. And as I was walking out, Pete Carroll was walking in because Pete and Jed were with each other in 2010. Jed was Carroll's quarterback coach for the Seahawks in 2010. And so he knows me. I know him. We had a brief conversation and then after 14 years, I, 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 I did something and I got something that I never had before, and that was his phone number.
Okay. I did not have Pete Carroll's phone number until last well, Tuesday. Now that he's not the coach anymore. And the guy's, he's not gonna... Exactly. The guy's been here for 14 years. So, you know, look, I've already got Jed Fisher's number. I had Kalen DeBoer's number. I've got AD's phone numbers, things like that. But I never had his phone number until last week. And I said, look, I want to call you. I want to talk about doing some stuff on the radio. I want to go have lunch. I'll reach out to you. I'm trying to get him and Mike Holmgren together on the air. 14 years in Seattle. And Pete has never spoken to Mike Holmgren on the radio. And Mike's been doing a radio show with us sure. for the last 12, 13 seasons. So I'm trying to get those guys hooked up. But finally, after 14 years, I finally have his phone number. So I'm very happy about that. All right. Yeah. Um, all That's the all... relationship I had with Pete that I had to wait 14 years to get his number. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, all in all to classify the the 10 days from playing for the national championship, losing that game, right. losing your coach, losing half the players, mm -hmm. and the greatest coach in Seahawks history, losing yeah. his job all in 10 days. Yeah. Quantify it. How do you describe the range of emotions? Your, your chaos. Were fantastic yeah. at that point. Tired. Tired and tired. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm 50 years old now. I'm not 20 anymore, right? I mean, I, I like to think I have some energy, but it's not the same, right? Uh, I mean, when you're going to Vegas and you're going to New York and then you're going to New Orleans and then you're going to Houston eight days later, you know, traveling and scheduling and finding hotels and media credentials and Ubers and uh, figuring out who's going and who's buying plane tickets. You know, a lot of stuff has to be sponsored now. So you're dealing with sponsors and chasing money down for all this stuff. I mean, it was, it was exhausting, honestly. And there's a part of me that's glad it's over to have some time to just kind of chill and relax a little bit and have my weekends open and go play golf for the guys and hang out with my wife and my dogs and all that stuff. Um, so I'm glad that we do have a break here, but I would never trade any of that because the idea that we really started thinking maybe in December that we could win a national title, that we're going to a final four, that we had a month to get ready for the Texas game and the sugar bowl you're in the spotlight. You know, everybody's talking about Washington football. It was unbelievable. You know, I, I always told myself if the Huskies had a guy that was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, I was going to go. And I went there and I saw you and it was it was fabulous. I mean, the Heisman ceremony itself, they don't allow media in there. So we ended up watching it at a hotel with the rest of Penix's family that couldn't get tickets. That was fun. You know, there's not a lot going on for the Heisman. You'd think there'd be this, all this pomp and circumstance, and really that's not what it's all about because in the end, it's about four guys, right? You're at the hotel in Times Square, and they have these little breakouts for all the players, and you know, there's only two people from Seattle. It was me and Mike Varell who covers the team for the time. So there wasn't a lot going on there. I'm not saying I would go again for sure if UW had a guy in the Final Four, but just the fact that I was able to cross that off the bucket list and cross playing in a national championship game off the bucket list. Yeah, it was it was awesome. But, dude, I'm, I'm old and I need a break. How's that sound? Well, I'm so glad that you could get up off the couch to do this podcast. Yeah, I'm getting Your paid second this, appearance. Right? Eli Manning's been on six times. Do you want to do Eli. four more? I'll do whatever you want as long as I'm getting paid. Oh, I mean, okay. you promised me that you're going to write me a check for this, man. So it's going to be yeah. name, image, and likeness from all the videos that we're going to yeah. make. Yeah. No, man, whatever you need, dude. You you know me. Whatever you need, I'm always there for you. That's Dave Mahler, softy. You can hear him Monday through Friday with Dick Fain, another one of my old buddies. we got to get him on the podcast, too. KJR in Seattle. Next week, we're going to talk about the upcoming Super Bowl and a Super Bowl champion of the past with Gary Myers, noted football reporter turned author. We'll see you then.